0: Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Friday, November 10th, 2023,
1: where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshier with today's headlines. Israel agrees to a daily four-hour pause in Gaza strikes.
0: Republican rivals spar in the party's third presidential debate.
1: DeSantis' biggest donor considers switching to Trump.
0: The U.S. Treasury's Yellen hosts China's vice premier.
1: Turkey takes issue with the EU's review of its bid to join the bloc.
0: Germany decides to send fighter jets to Romania.
1: Biden's son and brother are subpoenaed in the ongoing impeachment probe. Meta
0: outlines new rules for AI-based political
1: ads. India considers inducing artificial rain to tackle New Delhi's toxic smog.
0: And Hollywood actors reach a deal to end their strike.
1: Israel agrees to four-hour daily pauses in Gaza's fighting. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the New York Post, the Associated Press, Politico, NPR Online News, and Euronews. The White House said that Israel agreed to daily four-hour humanitarian pauses in the fighting in areas of northern Gaza starting on Thursday to allow Palestinian civilians to flee the combat zone, committing to announce each safe window at least three hours in advance. This comes as the Associated Press reported that negotiations brokered by Egypt, Qatar, and the U.S. were underway to reach a humanitarian three-day ceasefire in Gaza in exchange for Hamas releasing about a dozen hostages. U.S. President Joe Biden told reporters that he had personally asked Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for a pause Longer than three days to secure the freeing of hostages, expressing some frustration that his counterpart had allegedly resisted a prolonged pause. The humanitarian situation in Gaza has worsened by the day, prompting calls for a ceasefire. Last week, in a rare move, the heads of 18 UN and humanitarian agencies issued a joint statement demanding the cessation of hostilities. Protests calling for the same have also been held across the world's major cities. A few hours before this announcement, officials from the UN and a range of Western and Arab countries, alongside members of non governmental organizations, stressed the urgent need for aid for civilians in the enclave and pledged more than $1 billion in funding at a Paris conference. As of Wednesday, the Hamas run Gaza Health Ministry said 10,569 people, including 4,324 children and 2,823 women, had been killed in Israeli bombardments since October 7th, when Hamas killed at least 1,400 people and abducted about 240 people in the deadliest attack ever against Israel.
0: Thanks, Melissa, for those facts. Unsurprisingly, we have some divergent narratives here. The pro-Israel narrative comes from the Times of Israel. After Hamas's heinous attack on Israel, the country has a right and a duty to carry out this invasion of Gaza. However, a short, temporary ceasefire may be possible on the condition that it comes with the release of Israeli hostages.
1: Here's the pro-Palestine narrative from Middle East I. Living under a total blockade and unrelenting Israeli airstrikes, figures show that one Palestinian child is dying every 15 minutes. A humanitarian ceasefire needs to be established immediately so that much-needed aid can enter the territory.
0: Narrative C comes from the Washington Post. Currently, the terms ceasefire and humanitarian pause are being used interchangeably, yet they have major distinctions. While many Israel advocates suggest a ceasefire would draw out the conflict, ultimately leading to more bloodshed, many Palestinian advocates argue that mere pauses are not enough to abate the humanitarian catastrophe. It's vital for all parties and the international community to clearly define the scope of these terms immediately and minimize the fog of war to the extent possible.
1: And here's our statistics-based nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. It says there's a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity, food, gasoline, and medicine in Gaza by December 2023.
0: You hear about, they call them plum jobs. Okay, Melissa, you're the security guard at this parking garage that shut down 20 years ago, but you just keep getting checks. There's not really a job. It's mm. just you don't. In it, at the worst, you just have to go in there and sit, and nothing ever happens. You just get paid yeah. for nothing. There's a lot of those and various government jobs. People always talk about these plum jobs. Working for the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry at this time is not one of
1: those. Uh, <laughs> like, no, I really I would, not. I would say that person wants to be there helping for sure. Yes,
0: yes. Or they'd rather be in an empty parking garage somewhere. That
1: might also be true.
0: The GOP holds its third presidential debate in Miami. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, BBC News, CBS News, PBS NewsHour, and The Daily Caller. Five candidates for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination took part in the party's third debate in Miami on Wednesday evening, with former president and GOP frontrunner Donald Trump skipping the debate to hold his own rally. Candidates required 70,000 individual campaign donors and at least 4% support in two national polls, or 4% in one national poll along with two polls out of New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina to be eligible for the debate. Seven candidates appeared at the last debate with former VP Mike Pence exiting the race and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum failing to qualify. The debate saw Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, businessman Vivek Ramaswamy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina take the stage. The candidates were asked as to why voters should consider each individual as an alternative to Trump. During the debate, Trump held a campaign rally in Hialeah, Florida, drawing strong support from the state's Hispanic community. While DeSantis claimed that the former president owed it to voters to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance, Haley described Trump as getting weak in the knees. All candidates voiced their support for Israel following the October 2nd Hamas attack while sharing differing views on abortion. Haley said that she did not judge anyone for being pro-choice, while DeSantis claimed the anti-abortion movement had been flat-footed in mobilization. Ramaswamy delivered some of the night's most memorable soundbites when he referred to DeSantis and Haley as, quote, Dick Cheney in three-inch heels for their interventionist foreign policy positions. Meanwhile, Haley described Ramaswamy as, quote, scum after he claimed that Haley's daughter used TikTok despite the ambassador criticizing the app as Chinese spyware. The latest CBS poll among likely Republican primary voters placed Trump with a 43% lead over Ron DeSantis, sitting as the party's first choice candidate for 61% of respondents, while DeSantis second with 19, Haley at nine, Ramaswamy at 5%, Scott at 4%, and Christy at 2%.
1: Okay, thank you, Scott. We have many opposing political narratives on this story, starting with the Republican narrative from Fox News. The debate showed why DeSantis and Haley are head of the pack, consolidating current polling in the race to be the Republican number two candidate. At many points, the debate seemed as if it was a head-to-head between the two, with Christy and Scott noticeably lacking in force. There's little point in there being anyone else outside of DeSantis and Haley in the next debate if Trump once again chooses to be absent.
0: And the Democratic spin comes from Alyssa Milano's column in the Daily Beast. Each Republican candidate seemed drastically out of touch with modern-day America. The GOP continues to push rhetoric on what they are against rather than what they are for, a product of dangerous desperation from a group of weak candidates who will continue to be crushed by Donald Trump in the polls, while dragging the GOP further down a path of oblivion.
1: Here's the pro-Trump narrative from The Last Refuge. The GOP field isn't trying to win the Republican nomination, but rather, the candidates are attempting to undermine President Trump's campaign. However, as poll numbers continue to show, such attempts will continue to fail, even in DeSantis' home turf of Florida. Haley and DeSantis continue to fight to be the best loser in the party as Trump cruises toward the 2024 presidential election. And a
0: nerd narrative from Metaculous, they predict a 90% chance that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee for the 2024 U.S. presidential election. I think it's pretty slick of Trump not to get bogged down in the Bush League debate. Like, I I think I don't think it behooved him to do that at all. And the fact that he did the rally across the street or whatever shows I could be there if I felt like it. I'm actively not doing that and instead having a rally. Yeah,
1: that's very much like him. Let's see. Let's see how many more people come to my rally.
0: Win or lose for DeSantis here, it probably was nice for the short ride back home. Playing a home (laughs) game is always nice.
1: Yeah, it's true. You can get your uh, Capri Sun and your orange slices sooner. Mm. Start feeling better. DeSantis' biggest donor considers backing Trump. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Financial Times, Reuters, Politico, and Forbes. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' biggest donor, Robert Bigelow, is reportedly considering switching his support to former President Donald Trump, alleging the conservative governor has been running a weak campaign, though the Nevada Hotel entrepreneur insisted he was pro-Trump, He said he would remain on the sidelines and only financially back Trump once he was sure the Republican hopeful isn't headed to prison. Bigelow cited Hamas' October 7 attack on Israel for his change of heart, stating that the U.S. requires a streetwise leader who would be a hell of an ass-kicker if he needed to be. In August, he had threatened to stop funding DeSantis' presidential campaign unless the Republican attracted moderate voters and new major donors. Despite donating $20 million to his Never Back Down Super Political Action Committee in March, Bigelow reportedly disapproved of the Republicans' signing of a bill that bans abortion after six weeks. About 75% of funds raised by DeSantis have reportedly come from donors who are restricted from making any further donations, as they have already maxed out the primary amount of $3,300.
0: We've got some Trump-based narratives on this story. Let's start with the pro-Trump spin from Daily Caller. Ron DeSantis is far behind Donald Trump in the polls, currently dueling it out with Nikki Haley for the second-place position. His funding is not exactly in the best of health, despite a strong cash haul since launching his presidential campaign in May. As there's a lot of frustration with the DeSantis campaign, it's astute for Bigelow to be shifting loyalties and looking for an alternative for the public good.
1: Here's the anti-Trump narrative from the New York Times. While some donors may have grown wary of the DeSantis campaign, it doesn't mean his presidential dreams are doomed. Prominent Republican donors, including Canary CEO Dan Eberhardt and Point Bridge Capital CEO Hal Lambert, believe his 2024 bid is on track. The amount of funding raised by DeSantis campaign so far is indicative of a sense of renewal among his supporters.
0: And Metaculus brings us another nerd narrative predicting a 2% chance that on January 1st, 2024, prediction markets will say Ron DeSantis is the most likely Republican nominee for president in 2024.
1: Robert Bigelow, male gigolo.
0: That's right. The first Deuce Bigelow movie is is still like pretty good, cute, stupid yeah. movie. The yeah. second Deuce Bigelow, even when it came, I remember I saw it, I think, I'm not sure if I saw it in the theaters or if I saw it soon after it came out, but. It was like, this isn't, this is bad. It's really bad. I wouldn't be surprised if the creative team behind Deuce Bigelow 1 didn't actually have anything to do with Deuce Bigelow 2. I would hope not. You yeah. Know? They didn't they want to like, sully themselves. They there's had, they everything
1: had, has been written about Deuce Bigelow that can't possibly right. be. Right. We
0: wrong. rang that dishrag out as yeah. much as we could. In, <laughs> we
1: don't want to do it again. Yeah. You know,
0: they had. Yeah. They have yeah. a little I'm something like, called integrity. Yes. The creative team behind Deuce Bigelow 1. Oh
1: yeah. You know it.
0: U.S. Treasury's Yellen and Chinese Vice Premier Hu set to meet. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, The Independent, CNA, The Associated Press, and CNBC. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is set to host Chinese Vice Premier Hu Li on Thursday for two days of meetings in San Francisco ahead of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, summit. The U.S. Department of the Treasury announced on Monday that the meeting will focus on intensive diplomacy, Writing an op-ed for The Washington Post the same day, Yellen claimed that both China and the U.S. had an obligation to establish resilient lines of open communication in order to prevent disagreements spiraling into conflict. The meeting is the first since the Treasury Department and China's Ministry of Finance created two shared economic working groups in September. The APEC Summit, also in San Francisco, is set to see U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping meet for the first time in almost a year. Yellen has also commented that her meeting with Hu was to focus on specific, high-priority economic topics, where tangible progress could be made. Yellen has also affirmed that the meeting was not intended to revive the Obama administration's U.S.-China strategic and economic dialogue. Yellen last visited China in July, where she claimed that the world was big enough for both China and the U.S. to mutually prosper. In August this year, Biden signed an executive order prohibiting certain technology investments in China, while in 2022, the exportation of advanced computer chips was also blocked. This week, he was appointed as head of the Central Financial Commission, party chief of the Central Financial Work Commission, as well as director of the Central Finance and Economic Affairs Commission.
1: Those were the facts, and we'll start the round of spins with a pro-China narrative from China Daily. Having previously met in July, further talks between He and Yellen highlight an attempt to re-establish U.S.-Chinese relations, while a great deal will need to be done to clear the air, with questions remaining over Taiwan while trade spats look set to continue despite the U.S. dependency on Chinese products. China has consistently stressed to the U.S. that the two are on the same side, and any further confrontation will only jeopardize the future of both countries
0: and the anti-China narrative from Voice of America. This meeting takes place at a time when China is struggling economically, affected by the failed appearance of a hoped post-pandemic boom and a real estate crisis. While China claims that the U.S. continues to attempt to stifle Beijing's economic growth, the U.S. has maintained that its focus is on national security. With the dollar value of total trade in goods reaching a near record level in recent years, the U.S. sits in a good position for economic talks with China.
1: We have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 17% chance of a U.S.-China war before 2035. Turkey slams the EU's review of its membership bid. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, and Voice of America. In response to the EU's annual report on Turkey's bid to join the bloc, in which it accused Ankara of serious backsliding on democratic standards, the rule of law, human rights, and judicial independence. Turkey's Minister of Foreign Affairs called the assessment unjust and biased. Turkey, whose membership bid has been frozen for years since talks began in 2005, further argued that the assessment highlighted the insincerity of EU's approach, clear double standard. It added that the fundamental rights issues were contentious even among EU member states. The transactional relationship between Ankara and the EU, which some member states believe makes accession impossible, deepened in 2016 after the EU gave Turkey billions of euros in exchange for Ankara's help in stopping migrants from entering Europe. Many believe hopes for accession died in 2009 after Germany and France said Turkey should not join and even more so after the UK, a longtime friend of Ankara, left the bloc. This comes as the relationship has become increasingly strained over immigration and more recently Turkey's criticism of Israel and the West over the Israel-Hamas war and humanitarian issues in Gaza. The EU's final report is due before its next summit gathering of member leaders in December, though experts and EU officials say not to expect much improvement in ties. Some countries, like Austria, have even called for the accession process to end.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Daily Sabah brings us Narrative A on this story. Austria and Turkey have actually been strengthening diplomatic ties, as shown by the Austrian federal chancellor Karl Nehammer's visit to Ankara last month, the first state visit from a chancellor in 22 years. If Turkey's main accession opponent was willing to do this, imagine what its view on EU membership could be a year from now. Not only would Turkey's EU membership help grow European economic prosperity, but Austria could use this moment to become a historic
1: diplomatic leader on the global stage. Here's Narrative B from Schengen Visa. Turkey simply has too many red flags to consider incorporating it into the EU. It refuses to recognize Cyprus as part of Greece. It's located far from Europe and amongst countries with regional instability and its economy is riddled with low wages and high inflation. The EU has a duty to protect its economic, geographical, and security interests. That said, there's no reason why diplomatic ties between Ankara and the EU can't deepen outside of this accession process, and strong relations can be built outside of this framework.
0: The nerd narrative from Metaculous, they say there's a 10% chance that Turkey will be a member of the European Union by the year 2040. Germany will send four fighter jets to Romania. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, the new voice of Ukraine, the Kiev Independent, the Straits Times, and Defense News. Germany plans to deploy four Eurofighter jets to Romania at the end of the month to support NATO's air policing mission, an anonymous source told Reuters. The move comes weeks after Russia attacked Ukrainian Danube River ports, which are just hundreds of feet away from the Romanian border. NATO has ramped up security efforts since the attacks, with Romanian Defense Minister Ángel Tilvar announcing that an investigation found Russian drone debris on Romanian soil. In addition to the jets, beginning on Thursday, Berlin will send its first wave of up to 80 soldiers to a military base near the Romanian city of Constanta. There's no sign that Russia's strikes near the border, which NATO Chief Jen Stoltenberg called destabilizing, were aimed at Romania or any other NATO member country. Earlier this week, the Netherlands stationed five fighter jets in Romania to train Ukrainian pilots as other NATO countries ramp up their continued support of Ukraine. The U.S. also began training Ukrainian military pilots to fly the F-16 last month. NATO presence in Romania has ramped up significantly since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, including the stationing of French-led troops. Meanwhile, Bucharest has tightened its security with bomb shelters, air raid warnings, and anti-drone systems on its Ukraine border.
1: We'll start with a pro-establishment narrative from NATO. While international fatigue may be setting in as Ukraine's fight against Russia's invasion drags on, Germany is standing firm in its support of NATO and Ukraine. Russia is trying to wear down Ukraine and the West, but Putin will not be able to outlast the fervent support of the alliance.
0: And Responsible Statecraft brings us an establishment-critical narrative. NATO and the U.S. ignored Russia's security concerns by breaking its promise not to expand eastward and then pretended this played no role in the current conflict. NATO countries have also been sending billions of dollars over the last two years to fight a proxy war on Russia's doorstep, yet alliance leaders call Russia's actions destabilizing. It's clear who the aggressor is in this situation.
1: There's another nerd narrative from Metaculous saying there's a 7% chance that there will be a war between Russia and one or more NATO countries other than the U.S. by 2035. Hunter and James Biden are subpoenaed in a House impeachment inquiry. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Reuters, NBC, The Press Democrat, CBS 7 Midland, Texas, and CNN. The U.S. House Oversight Committee on Wednesday said it subpoenaed President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, and brother James, as well as business associate Rob Walker, as part of its ongoing impeachment inquiry. The House impeachment inquiry began in September. Members of the Republican majority are looking into accusations that Biden made policy decisions that personally enriched him and his family while he was vice president for President Barack Obama. Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, said that the committee has financial documents demonstrating that businesses took part in a scheme to conceal contributions from foreign adversaries. The committee asserts that over about five years, the Biden family and their 20 shell corporations collected more than $24 million from foreign nations. The probe has been dismissed by both the White House and the Biden family's personal lawyers as a political ploy designed to harm Biden's bid for re-election. While Hunter Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, claims there is no basis for the subpoena, he confirmed that the president's son would comply. Hunter Biden's testimony is expected December 13th, while his uncle is set for December 6th and Walker's for November 29th.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Fox News brings us a Republican narrative. The president has lied to the American people about his family's business dealings, and Republicans have proof. It's important to hear under oath from his family and business partners to get a full picture of how Biden used his political office for financial gain.
1: The Washington Post brings us a Democratic narrative. Republicans have obtained more than 10,000 pages of financial records and conducted numerous interviews, but they haven't tied the president to any of his son's business dealings or found anything the president did wrong. These subpoenas are just a political stunt to try and make it look like something nefarious went on.
0: And a nerd narrative from Metaculus, they predict a 25% chance that Biden will be impeached by the House. Meta outlines new rules for AI-based political ads. And here are the facts, as agreed upon by The Verge, NBC News, Forbes, The Associated Press, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post. Meta Platforms, which runs Facebook and Instagram, has asked advertisers to disclose digitally created or altered political ads, including through artificial intelligence. According to the new rules, which will go into effect in 2024 worldwide, Meta would penalize advertisers who fail to disclose ads featuring a person saying or doing things they never said or did, altering footage of an actual event, or showing realistic-looking people and events. Furthermore, Meta has banned advertisers from using its generative AI software for social issues, electoral or political ads on Facebook and Instagram. This comes a day after Microsoft revealed that political campaigners could insert digital watermarks into their ads to verify their authenticity and prevent others from digitally altering them without leaving evidence. Meanwhile, the Federal Election Commission is expected to vote on a similar rule requiring political advertisers to disclose the use of AI generated content in political ads ahead of the 2024 presidential election. However, synthesized media has already been used in political ads. While the Republican National Committee used AI to create a 30-second ad envisioning a hypothetical second term for President Biden, critics of Donald Trump have spread fabricated images of him being arrested.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those facts. This round of spins begins with a pro-establishment narrative from Northwestern Now. Not only should tech companies be reviewing AI-generated images and videos, but governments around the globe should enact laws to prevent this insidious content from polarizing society even more. Until that happens, however, everyone must learn to carefully analyze any content they see online before sharing it widely over the Internet.
0: And the Institute for Free Speech brings us the Establishment Critical Narrative. While Meta isn't calling for an outright ban on deepfake images, requiring disclaimers is a slippery slope that could lead to forced labels on other content, such as satire. Twisting on what people say and doctoring images to fit a narrative is a decades-long issue. Just because AI exists doesn't mean we should lose our right to use it as a function of protected
1: speech. And the nerds have a say from Metaculus, This time there's a 50% chance that concern about artificial intelligence will go mainstream in the U.S. by September 2025. Delhi plans cloud seeding to reduce smog. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Hindustan Times, NDTV, The Independent, and Reuters. On Wednesday, Delhi State Environment Minister Gopal Rai announced that the capital city will consider cloud seeding an attempt to artificially induce rainfall to reduce its toxic air pollution. Cloud seeding occurs when silver iodide or potassium iodide is spread to the cloud system over a location using aircraft. The substance forms nuclei where water droplets form before becoming raindrops and falling to the surface. To be successful, a moisture-saturated cloud deck must be present and can produce rainfall in as little as 30 minutes. After meeting with the Indian Institute of Technology in Kanpur, Mr. Rai said, we have asked them to send us the proposal on artificial rain by tomorrow so that it can be produced before the Supreme Court for necessary permissions. Once approval has been given, the Delhi government will move quickly to implement the solution. Mr. Rai said that if the weather conditions permit, the government could move forward with the cloud seeding as early as November 20th or 21st. Vehicle emissions and wildland and farmland fires in Punjab and Haryana have increased pollutants in the region while winds and temperatures remain low, creating smoggy and unhealthy conditions in Delhi. If approved, India will join China, Indonesia, and Malaysia using cloud seeding to reduce toxic air pollution levels.
0: Thanks, Melissa. We have Narrative A from the Environmental Magazine. While cloud seeding may solve the toxic air problem temporarily, there are long-term impacts to think about. The use of chemicals needed to produce rain has the potential to contaminate food and water sources, which could sicken humans and animals. Additionally, while creating rain in one area, there is the potential to create droughts in others. This human-induced weather technique should undergo serious scrutiny before being used.
1: Narrative B comes from the Desert Research Institute. Cloud seeding has a growing body of evidence for producing beneficial results. From triggering beneficial rains to bolstering healthy snowpack, the benefits outweigh the costs in many parts of the world. As technology advances, monitoring processes will also improve, with benefits for locations like Delhi and beyond.
0: And a nerd narrative from Attaculous, they say there's a 7% chance that a geoengineering act of Congress will become U.S. federal law by the end of 2024. This cloud seeding thing is, is kind of exciting. I also feel like we're not going to do it right as a, as a species.
1: That's how we do. We just yeah. go for it, see what happens, and hope it wasn't the worst thing in the world.
0: But I also feel like a little bit of a trolley problem. I've always thought when I was a little kid, oh, I wish I could have a snow day. I wish I could make a snow day happen. Yeah, But someone's going to get in a car crash in that snowstorm and get hurt, and now you are the one who wished for it.
1: Right. So I've always
0: been careful with my wishes in that way. I feel like
1: okay, and any given I mean,
0: rainstorm, someone's going to have a crash, right? Like just some person true. somewhere. And now we caused that. That just seems a little too much for me. Yeah. And I guess you could say someone isn't going to crash because it's not raining somewhere else. I don't know. I just have a policy yeah. about being careful playing God. That's just a personal policy I have. I But maybe you feel differently.
1: I guess I've read enough of Marvel and DC. Am I allowed to say that? Are we owned by Disney? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not yet.
0: Although we are for, sale. I am. I personally am for sale.
1: Um, yeah, that's been established. But uh, yes. yeah, it's a, uh, I no. I think there's definitely some. Uh, there's some balance in the universe that that makes a good superhero or supervillain. Yeah, you'd be a good supervillain. Yeah, you could be. a good Oh yeah, superhero I, w- I would too. be a
0: good supervillain because I would be like tough but fair. Don't get me wrong. I would get mine. Don't cross me. But I'd be let's all just keep things under control here. It's fine. Just keep the resources flowing towards me and me only, and we'll everyone will be fine. Yeah. I think of all the supervillains, you could do worse than having me conquer your earth. As it goes, it wouldn't be too bad.
1: At least there'd be some good jokes along the way down.
0: Well, everyone would laugh. I'll tell you that much. Not at me, with me. Or else. (laughs) Okay?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What was that, Melissa? What'd you say?
1: Oh, I was laughing. And agreeing with you.
0: Good. That's what I thought. The Hollywood actors strike is over. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Reuters, The Daily Mail, NBC, and the Associated Press. A tentative deal between SAG-AFTRA and a group representing the streamers and studios agreed late Wednesday to effectively end, pending approval by union members, a four-month-long strike. More than 160,000 members of SAG-AFTRA, who walked off the job July 14th, agreed to a three-year contract with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP, which includes Disney, Netflix, and Amazon, among its membership. SAG-AFTRA called the more than $1 billion deal one that will help its members build sustainable careers as it increases minimum salaries and establishes a new bonus paid by streaming services. The deal also protects against the unauthorized use of images generated by artificial intelligence. Talks have broken off for a period of time before resuming October 24th en route to this agreement, which the union's national board will take up Friday. Previously, the Writers Guild of America ended its own strike by agreeing to a three-year contract in September. The actors and writers had been on strike simultaneously for the first time since 1960.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll start with a narrative A from Fox News. It's about time the actors got back to work. Actors have adequate pay and leave time already. Instead of railing against AI, the union and its members should be figuring out ways to utilize the technology to their advantage because AI is here to stay. This strike was disruptive and unnecessary and tried to buck the trends of the future.
0: And Narrative B comes from Vanity Fair. It was important, not just for the livelihood of current actors, but future actors, to get a deal done with protections from the studios replacing people with AI. If studios are allowed to own an actor's image or voice in perpetuity, not only could it cost jobs, but it could lead to actors showing up in projects without their approval. The strike was worthwhile, and the labor gains were historic.
1: The nerds have the last word from the Metaculous community saying there's a 50% chance that an algorithm will be able to predict the big five personality traits of a person from a naturalistic photograph or video after December 2025. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Friday, November 10th, 2023. Each day
0: we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: For more information on Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Verity.